There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. For the Miami Wave, the 1994 NCL season is a simple equation. Win the last four races and the conference title is theirs. Miami is led today by the one-man wrecking crew, Brian McDonough. They're seeking an NCL title to call their own. The road to that title begins north of the border. It's War on Wheels next on The Deuce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Toronto, Ontario, Canada, for the NCL race between the Toronto Pride, Forza Milano, and the Miami Wave. I'm Jamie Smith alongside Alexi Graywall. Alexi, Toronto is halfway through their freshman year. Do you think, they, uh, they think they'll get a passing grade? Uh, they, they're going to struggle for once. They've been struggling really a lot, uh, and the openers uh, almost looked hopeless. But this is a big chance for them to regroup. They're on their home course. They're in front of a home crowd. And uh, they've, got, they've really got to show us today whether they can stack up. They have the stuff to um, stack it up with them. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Hello, friends. It's uh, your pal, Tim Hanlon. How are you? All things being equal, I hope you're doing all right. I hope you're staying healthy. I hope you're uh, being safe. I hope you're doing uh, all the things that uh, your local uh, officials uh, are are telling you to uh, stop in its tracks. This uh, uh, crazy uh, disease that we're all sort of uh, dealing with uh, as a country uh, and the economic repercussions. And uh, I think we're in it for the kind of the long haul. But uh, I, I trust that all of you are doing the right and safe and smart things with you. Uh, and your loved ones, uh, and uh, and doing all the things that uh, you're supposed to be doing uh, in helping keep this disease down to at least a minimum as possible, and uh, helping others out as they might need it, because uh, it's uh, absolutely trying times. And uh, hopefully, you're all taking it seriously, and and more importantly, helping others too, who uh, for whatever reasons may need your support, uh, counsel, and or just good deeds. Uh, so uh, please pass that around and. You know, as we uh, try not to linger too much, we uh, we want to try to provide you a bit of distraction, perhaps productive distraction at that. We all know that a lot of you are uh, hunkered down and, and, and doing your best to keep distant, uh, socially uh, challenging as that might be as human beings. Uh, but uh, God forbid uh, we can help fill your void of sports with our little silly program, which we call, of course, Good Seats Still Available. It's our curious little journey each and every week. Uh, into what used to be in professional sports. Very interesting over the last couple of weeks. Uh, some very interesting spikes in listenership. Uh, we appreciate uh, if you're new to the proceedings, uh, as well as all the great uh, uh, commentary uh, inbound to us. Uh, numerous uh, people saying, helping them get through, uh, believe it or not, uh, trying times and or just sheer boredom uh, and the absence of sports uh, by somehow stumbling across stories or adventures, uh, things that uh, they maybe faintly remember from their childhoods or, or in earlier parts of their lives or, or maybe just uh, newly discovered. Uh, and it's a very interesting phenomenon. We've seen a lot of uh, social sharing, if you will, at least online, of our episodes and the stories and stuff. And uh, 
we're uh, uh, heartened by all of that. And again, if we're uh, providing a bit of respite from uh, all the other ills and uh, travails of uh, of our lives out there, uh, we uh, it's, it's, we're doing at least something there. And uh, hopefully that is the case. And uh, this week's a very interesting uh, episode, and frankly, perhaps a primer for for those brand new uh, to our little uh, our little show, our little uh, passion, our little. Uh, arguably our little uh, obsession, I guess, with uh, teams and leagues of, of of your no longer with us or previously domiciled or incarnated. Uh, and our guest this week, his name is Tom Brocato, and uh, he has uh, come out now with a second edition of a book that has essentially become kind of a Torah for us. It's uh, it's called Major Sports Leagues. It is uh, newly published by our friends at uh, St. Johan Press, and it is available. I'm not sure it's immediately available on Amazon, of course, because of uh, their prioritization of more essential needs uh, for people using the Amazon service. But it is directly available at uh, St. Johann's Press's uh, website. And we'll give you all those details in a little while. But uh, in essence, let me sort of set, set this up. This is essentially the sort of key reference point for for our our, uh, our genre here. Um, this is a work that Tom has done uh, put together. It's been almost 20 years now. Uh, and it, it literally is a litany uh, and comprehensive at that, mostly comprehensive of all of the teams and the leagues and the team names and the team name origins of uh, all of pro sports in the United States, dating all the way back to the earliest days of Major League Baseball. And we'll get into perhaps uh, some of the reasons why Tom sort of uh, decided to devote part of his uh, non-professional life to putting this book uh, into print uh, and, the, and the, the, the sheer monstrosity of uh, of research that's necessary or was necessary and still is necessary, frankly, to keep up with all of it. Uh, and a lot of it, of course, uh, sort of traverses pro, you know, sports that we all know are very deep and rich in history in team sports, such as basketball and football and baseball and and hockey, soccer, certainly, uh, but also, frankly, teams uh, from leagues uh, that uh, in sports that you may not have even known had pro uh, sports league uh, setups, for example, polo, uh, martial arts, rodeo. We get into uh, rugby. Uh, There's obviously major league rugby today, but there's been a rugby uh, league in the past as well. Tennis has been a team sport, both of of current world team tennis, but also the original world team tennis, uh, volleyball, softball, uh, lacrosse, both indoor and outdoor. Did you know that there were two leagues devoted to team play in golf in the United States? Uh, we talked about bowling. There have been uh, two, uh, one of which we explored in a previous episode around the National Bowling League uh, as well. Uh, cricket has uh, had its shot in 2004. And that little clip that you heard at the beginning uh, is from something in the world of cycling, if you can believe it. Yes, in 19, well, actually, it was for a number of years, the National Cycle League uh, from 1989 to 96. And that clip that you heard there was from a presentation on ESPN2, The Deuce, uh, that uh, was from 1994 that, let's see, was uh, the way that they did these uh, competitions, the NCL, at least th that year, uh, was not only two teams competing with each other, but three teams, uh, the Toronto Pride, in this case, the home team, the Miami Wave, and Forza Milano, uh, the three teams in this game, uh, this match, this uh, this event. Uh, in 94 from ESPN2, we, we tried our darndest to figure out like what the actual date of that competition was. Uh, but Jamie Smith on the call and Alexi Graywall on the uh, color commentary. And perhaps if we can somehow get in touch with Jamie Smith, uh, who I know has uh, done a lot of writing about uh, cycling, both pro and amateur, 
both positive and not so. Uh, we'd love to get into the National Cycle League, but that's certainly something uh, that is encompassed in this great book, Major Sports Leagues, uh, with our guest this week, Tom Brocato. And we're going to get into all of it, sort of the the generalities of all these teams and leagues that have sort of come and gone, the uh, the sort of uh, essence of of why and how these sort of things come about. Uh, we get into the process, frankly, of, of learning about these things, and frankly, uh, not all of them very easily understood and discovered, even in this internet age. And obviously, uh, Tom started this process back in the 90s when, you know, the Internet wasn't sort of a, a, a universal and broadband enabled thing uh, that, you know, had sort of a cornucopia of stuff. There's plenty of nooks and crannies out there in pro sports history uh, that eludes us even in the Internet age. And uh, that's why this book exists. And frankly, as you'll hear from Tom in a couple of moments, is a living, breathing thing because there's always new nuggets that are being discovered. Uh, but I will tell you that there are, this is about as comprehensive of, of a work you'll find. Uh, for your reference shelves, uh, but also, frankly, something that's going to obviously continue to go We uh, or, or change or morph over time. We uh, somewhat jokingly on our on our Twitter feed call them uh, future episode watch postings, right? Because uh, there are, you know, there are teams and leagues and, you know, this, we, we may be at a point of, pre, uh, at, uh, of peak sports and especially given some not so certain economic times in the months and years ahead. Uh, I, there could be a little bit of a loosening or a lessening of of uh, the just sheer uh, upward uh, 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 spiral, I guess, of of pro sports and you know uh, thirty teams in Major League Soccer and, and how many teams in NHL now. And I, you know, at some point cyclically, that probably has to correct. But the, regardless of that, we're not rooting for teams and leagues to sort of go go belly up. But there's a long history, uh, as we've uh, sort of uh, painfully explored over the last three years. And the themes sort of come and uh, and stick around, right? They uh, they certainly ebb and flow, but uh, leagues and teams, uh, businesses and business enterprise, a lot of people thinking that uh, these are going to be the next big thing, and and for whatever reasons, greed or uh, macroeconomics uh, sort of getting in the way and and uh, uh, you know undermining uh, sort of the the, the most uh, noble of ideas. But uh, those things aren't going away. Those uh, and this absolutely directly applies to. To pro sports. And here is a great excuse to kind of get into sort of a nice survey here of uh, of some of the teams and leagues that uh, some of which you may know about, some of which we've already explored, and frankly, a whole bunch uh, that uh, you never knew existed. And we uh, we thoroughly love uh, learning about all those new things that uh, somehow eluded us in our uh, in our lives and frankly, in our, our past research. And that's what we're up to uh, this week with our guest, Tom Brucato, coming up in just a few moments time. We uh, encourage you to listen heartily, and I think you'll enjoy it. By the way, also, if you listen carefully, we'll have a couple of uh, trivia questions uh, along the way during the uh, during the show, during the breaks of the show this week. And uh, you out there in listener link can uh, win a free copy of Tom's book, Major Sports Leagues, published by St. Johan Press. Uh, it is an impressive work. It costs something in the neighborhood of $30, $40. It's hardcover. It's, uh, geez, how many pages is this book? It goes on and on. It's almost 500 pages, my God. And it's it's a it's a tremendous uh, thing to have on your reference shelf. And like I said, we're going to have a couple of trivia questions out there. And um, just listen for the instructions. Uh, listen, and uh, uh, the, we'll basically do what we call sort of the fastest finger first, the first email uh, that we get to uh, hello at goodseatstillavailable.com with the answer uh, to one of those questions, we'll receive a free copy courtesy of St. Johan Press. And Dave Bizell and, and his team there in Haworth, New Jersey, uh, will be glad to send you a copy. We're going to have two of those out there. So give a listen to this show and the uh, and the trivia questions to come. And, of course, send us an email with uh, your answer 
and uh, and away we'll go. All right. Before we get there, we want to say uh, hello and welcome to our friends at uh, our one of our great sponsors. Of course, been we're been with us for 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 a long period of time, and uh, we we love every chance to promote them. It's called Streaker Sports. Streaker Sports. They call themselves the purveyor of sports culture, and uh, you can find more uh, about them at streakersports.com. And make sure, of course, that you use uh, the promo code for ten percent off all of your purchases. The promo code is Good Seats. And uh, it's the perfect excuse uh, to try out streakersports.com because uh, we're going to be talking about lots of defunct leagues today and the teams within them. And I can't think of, frankly, a more comprehensive site uh, that has uh, all the great T-shirts uh, with all the great logos of many, not not all. I mean, it's it's ridiculously comprehensive how many teams and leagues of your have been out there. But, you know, streakersports.com using promo code good seats for 10 percent off will be probably one of your best uh, places that you can find just a, 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 a many of those leagues in one place. Uh, the American Basketball Association, the Major Indoor Lacrosse League, the Old North American Soccer League, Pro Beach Hockey, Roller Hockey International, the USFL Football League, the WFL Football League, uh, the WHA, and also the Western Hockey League. That was sort of the, the Western uh, uh, pro equivalent of the NHL before they decided the NHL did to finally expand to the West Coast. All of those leagues are represented in a fantastic T-shirt form. And uh, they're just uh, well-created, uh, the great quality. Uh, and uh, there's, you will find, I guarantee, you're going to go through all these teams and you're going to go, wow, didn't know about that one. Or, oh my God, I forgot about them. Uh, and it's it's all there for you under the Defunct Leagues tab at streakersports.com. Again, promo code GOODSEATS, 10% off all of your purchases. And while you're there, check out all the other great stuff that they got too. Fantastic stuff that's sports-related and sports inspired and all kinds of really great stuff. And no better way to kind of sort of fill the gap and the void of not having actual pro sports to watch or college sports for that matter, uh, by maybe reminiscing about some of the times in the good old days when uh, your favorite team or league uh, was up and running again, one more time at streakersports.com, And the promo code for you is good seats, 10% off all of your purchases. Thank you. Streaker sports. We love your patronage of this little show. And we appreciate all of you out there in listener land, giving them a, giving them a look, giving them a consideration, making me be making a purchase, uh, helping another small business out there. And while you're doing that, uh, as you, as you kick back and relax, please enjoy our conversation about major sports leagues. Yeah. It's the book and the topic with our pal, our new pal, Tom Brucato. And here's our chat. Please enjoy. Maybe you can uh, give our audience a little bit of a sense of, before we get into perhaps maybe a, a bit of our shared malady here, our, a little bit of background about sort of who you are by day, and then maybe we can skate into the more serious topic at hand, of course. Okay. Well, by day, I am. Um, I do not have a very interesting job, although it is a writing job. Um, I work in technical writing for a division of United Healthcare called United Medical Resources. And my job is in quality assurance. I basically am checking um, the quality of our plan documents that go to uh, plan members that are covered by these insurance and uh, self-insured plans. Well, I mean, but that's, that sounds to me like attention to detail, right? Which sounds like it could also be very helpful for what we're going to be talking about. Well, all right, so... I'm going to really take a guess here. Is there, so maybe I should take it. So what's, 
How do you get involved, interested in sort of the, shall we say, forgotten or former sports teams and leagues thing? Uh, how does that sort of uh, uh, become enough of an interest that, and this I know has been a while, and this is just the, the new version of it, um, to encyclopedically chronicle all of such? Well, for me, all of this really goes back to an interest in the history of the Cincinnati Reds. I was born and raised in Cincinnati. I still live in Cincinnati. Uh, baseball is really the sport that I truly follow. Um, when I was a kid, and we're talking about like 1970, I was about nine years old, and uh, I know that's really badly dating myself, but um, when I was a kid, my dad had no interest in sports whatsoever. He was a very interesting guy. He had all kinds of interests, but sports was definitely not one of them. And so we're talking about the days when, you know, kids basically played outside all the time. And I had a, you know, a bunch of friends in the neighborhood. And sometimes I would go to their houses and I would say, you know, you want to come out and play? And they would say, uh, no, I'm watching the Reds game with my dad right now. Do you want to come in and watch it with us? And I, was, I would always decline. I wasn't really interested. I hadn't been exposed to that very much. So one day I was at home, and I remember I was flipping through the TV channels, and it was like all three or four channels that we had at that time. Um, and the Reds game was on one of them. And I thought to myself, I'm going to try watching this and see you know, what my friends find so intriguing about it. So I sat there and I started watching it, and I was kind of immediately interested in what was happening. And I, my mom was in the room with me. She was must have been ironing or, or something. Um, but I was watching this, not completely understanding the rules. Uh, I knew some of it, you know, because we used to, you know, I was exposed to it with some of the other neighborhood kids. But I wouldn't always understand what happened. And so I would ask my mom, who was there, I would say something like, hey, mom, this guy just caught the ball, and then the runner on third base was allowed to start running. Why? And she would say, oh, that's called a sacrifice fly, and she would explain the rule. And this happened throughout the game. I'm asking questions, and she's answering all of my questions. So uh, a little while later on, the game was on again. I sat down to watch it again because I really had enjoyed it the first time. And this time my mom sat down and watched it with me. And once again, I'm full of questions, and she's full of answers. And this went on uh, several times during that summer. And then finally, I asked her mom, how do you know so much about baseball? And she told me that she had been a big Reds fan back in the 50s when she was a teenager. And she used to go to the games at Crosley Field all the time. And her, her favorite players were guys like Wally Post and Gus Bell and Frank Robinson. And um, she started to tell me stories about these uh, these days, and that got me interested in Red's history. So I started going to the school library, checking out any baseball books I could, especially books about history, the history of baseball. And uh, eventually, she told me, you know, the Reds were actually the first professional team ever. And that kind of blew me away. And by now, I had been gaining a little baseball knowledge. And I said, no, that can't be true. You, you know, it's got to be the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Giants or, you know, the, the teams everybody talks about all the time. And she said, no, it was the Reds. They were the first. 
And so then I started to, you know, be even more interested and look for books that were specifically about Red's history. Uh, well, most of this went back to 1901, you know, the era of modern baseball. And so I eventually, as years went on, was able to find things that went back to the 19th century and discovered that not only were the Reds the first professional team in 1869, but and when they were called the Red Stockings, but they had actually existed since 1866 as an amateur team called the Resolutes or the Resolute Baseball Club. And then I uh, learned that a lot of the National League teams that were still in existence had played in the 1800s. And some of those teams, like the Los Angeles Dodgers, everybody pretty pretty well knew that they had been the Brooklyn Dodgers. But who knew that they were called the Brooklyn Atlantics at one time? And that the Giants were not only the New York Giants, but originally the New York Gothams. And that the Phillies had been the Nationals, and the Pirates were the Alleghenies. And so I really became interested in that and learning about these defunct leagues from the 1800s and some of these defunct teams, you know, the Louisville Colonels and the Hartford Dark Blues. And so this was a passing interest of mine for, for years. And I would just read whatever I could. And it wasn't until probably the 1990s that I got the idea to maybe turn this into a book. So it was originally going to be a baseball book. Um, about baseball history, about these defunct teams, these defunct leagues, uh, where these names came from. Uh, but honestly, I didn't think I had enough information to create a whole book out of it. And one day I was in the public library and I found a book that um, it was something about the origins of the names that all the exist of all the existing teams in MLB the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL. And so I checked that book out and I read it and I found it very interesting. And that got me thinking about these other sports and these other leagues and uh, wondering what their histories might be like. And so I started delving into that and learning that there were all kinds of defunct football leagues, basketball leagues, hockey leagues, and teams. Um, I eventually uh, decided to expand the book and realized that that could be the perfect way to really fill it out and make it a complete book. Okay, but at what point did you sort of, well, okay, so you give me a book, but a, a reference book, I guess, to at least start, right, versus a narrative, right? But at what point, okay, so there's enough there for a book, but at what point as you start to uh, pursue the, I guess, the process of putting this book together, right, which is probably part research and maybe even some interviews or some other investigation. At what point do you realize that this is such a large rabbit hole that it's probably not going to be neatly done very easily and very quickly? Well, <laughs> you're right about that because it uh, it took a lot of years. And we're talking about the 1990s, and so uh, there was no Internet yet. And, uh, ah, but there was, there was microfiche, no? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was microfiche. There was, yeah, so I was at the library a lot. Um, I was on the phone a lot. I was looking for contact information, um, contacting other libraries, uh, because, you know, I, I'm not uh, that well off to where I can travel to other cities and, and just to do research. So I'm calling other libraries to try to do this research for me. And uh, some of them would charge fees for doing the research. But, you know, as long as it was reasonable, I was willing to do that. Um, 
but also some of the existing leagues at the time. I was contacting the league offices. I was contacting uh, individual teams. Um, email was very helpful. Um, and I got all kinds of, of very good responses, filling in all kinds of holes. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was very labor-intensive because of the era. Um, I mean, to do the same research today would be much, much easier with, with the Internet. Uh, but the, the first edition of this book came out in 2000. And so, like I said, most of the research was done in the 1990s, and uh, it, it was a lot of work. It was more than I think I had counted on. Um, but at a certain point, you know, you're in the middle of it and you're thinking, I can't give up now. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I got to get to the finish line. And uh, that finish line was kind of a subjective thing, too, because at a certain point, you know, I had uh, so many years put into the research, I had to make a decision on, you know, do I want to keep trying to add different sports and leagues to this, or, you know, at what point do I want to decide that I'm finished? Well, okay. Give me, maybe we can use that as a framing then. So, so what, what is the criteria? And then how do you go about sort of filling those in? I guess the, the first part of that question is to the title, right? What, how do you make that uh, determination of what is quote unquote, a major league? Because I'm sure there's some arbitrariness to that, uh, depending on certain sports and maybe even eras of certain sports too. Absolutely. And uh, as I say in the introduction to this book, deciding whether a league is major or not is somewhat subjective um, because there is no, there is no uh, worldwide or nationwide criteria, so I had to create my own criteria. And so what I came up with was that uh, a league, first of all, has to be professional. And uh, there are different meanings of that word, <laughs> but uh, basically to me that means the players have to be paid. Uh, secondly, it has to be at least to some degree national, meaning that it has to cross state lines at some point. And um, uh, finally, it has to include the best players in its sport uh, for that region, meaning whether it's a, it's a national league in the United States, it has to include the best players in the United States. Even if it's a specialized league like the Negro Leagues, that are, you know, confining themselves, not willfully necessarily, but to a specific segment of the population, or women's leagues, or the Senior Professional Baseball Association. They have to be the best players uh, for that sport in that region. Uh, part of that, too, is, um, and people have asked me, because in the first edition of the book, I would have included more sports if I had been able to more easily uh, come up with the information that I needed. Now, that book uh, contained 10 sports. The new edition of the book contains 22. And a lot of that was due to the fact that, as I said before, I had to decide whether you know, I wanted to spend more and more years researching or stop with what I had and get the book published, which is ultimately what I did. And then as I started work on the second edition, decided that I could try to research some of those other sports now and some of those other leagues. And it was a much easier process because of the Internet. Um, and so that uh, it, it was uh, not nearly as difficult or as time consuming. Now, there are, that being said, there are still a lot of leagues and some of the sports in this book were extremely difficult to track down. Um, but as, uh, as I worked on it, I was able to 
still contact a lot of people and a lot of leagues. Um, they were very responsive. I think that was one of the one of the nicer aspects of the whole project was uh, the responsiveness of these these teams and uh, different people who were willing to help out. Which which was easier or harder? Uh, I mean, was it uh, finding lesser known teams or, or leagues in sort of the established sports, like say I don't know the Federal League in baseball, uh, because baseball is such a well documented sport generally that it was easier to find that stuff or. Or perhaps is it maybe leagues or teams uh, or, frankly, just outright defunct stuff uh, in sports not generally associated with with, with pro sports that you've uh, uh, nicely augmented in this edition? I mean, I, who knew there was a national bowling league, although we had an episode a couple of months ago, uh, and boxing and, and, and golf. I mean, very interesting, but uh, curiosities, to say the least, because we don't associate generally those sports with uh, with pro and or team play at all. Right. And uh, I'm always a fan of somebody who tries something new with an individual sport and tries to turn it into a team sport. I think that's, that's kind of a fun uh, enterprise, and I like to follow that. Um, and to answer your question, I think it's a little of both because uh, with these older defunct teams, you know, like you said, they are more popular sports, and there's a lot more history has been written and a lot more people who have done research on those. And standing on their shoulders makes it uh, easier to find some things. Um, but with some of the newer startup sports, for example, uh, Ultimate Disc, um, there is no history. There is no professional history going back years and years of Ultimate Disc. It's a very new thing. And so everything that is happening in that sport is new and current. And as long as it's current, uh, the information is there. You're able to track it. You're able to follow it. You're able to contact people if you need to because the teams all still exist and the leagues still exist, and you don't have to go trying to track down past information. Now, with some of the other sports like cycling, um, one of the more difficult ones that I had was the National Cycle League. Uh, there's very little information printed about that. Uh, even doing Internet searches, you're not going to find a whole lot. And I was able to track down some isolated articles from various years that uh, eventually allowed me to put the pieces of this puzzle together and was also able to get in, in contact with one of the former cyclists who had some information in the way of programs and other things that he was able to copy and send to me. So uh, some of the obscure ones, if they're if they're new, it, they're still existing, it's easy if uh, – if it's something you're tracking down from the past, it can be very difficult. How did you even find out about a National Cycle League in the first place? Like, how does it even hit your <laughs> radar? You know, that, I'm not even sure. I can't even remember how that how that came up. Um, I must have been looking for something uh, because sometimes some of these teams share names with other with uh, other teams and other sports, and so there it could have been that I was looking for a specific team in a different sport and came across one that had the same name in the National Cycle League. Um, I can't remember exactly whether that happened, but I know there were some identical names, and um, that could be how that came about. Are there any any leagues generally in your work here that uh, that kind of stood out as being uh, an especially interesting and intriguing and or surprising uh, discovery or, or curiosity that, you know, you kind of wild in a little bit longer maybe than some of the others that maybe especially that you didn't even weren't aware of or or, or just had such 
craziness or or uh, oddities attached to it that uh, just became its own intriguing sort of uh, uh, discovery? One of the more fun ones that I discovered was called the uh, United States Women's Polo Federation. So this is a professional polo league that started in 2001. It lasted until 2007. Uh, but along the way, they added a men's division. And so they changed the name of the league to the United States Women's Polo Federation slash United States Men's Polo Federation. So there's a mouthful uh, for the name of a league. But uh, all the teams in this league, um, all the women's teams were named for dragonflies that were native to their uh, respective locales. And all the men's teams were named for horse breeds. So that was kind of a fun thing, being able to uh, discover, you know, one of the things I started looking into was where the horse breed names came from. Because, you know, a team called the Palm Beach Morgans, well, you can say it was named for a horse breed, but where did the name Morgan come from for a horse breed? So it was actually kind of fun uh, looking up that kind of stuff and uh, learned a lot about horses and uh, you know why uh, why certain breeds took on certain names, uh, but that league also was very difficult to follow because uh, I had discovered it when it was still playing, and very little was published about it, uh, even when it was in existence. And so I found myself contacting the league over and over again. I mean, from season to season, just finding out what was going on because certain teams were moving, uh, they were expanding, certain teams were going defunct, and uh, I probably bugged those people more than <laughs> they appreciated, but they didn't show any signs of that. They were very cooperative and very helpful, and that's really the only way I was able to completely track that league was through personal contact. Now, oh, that's interesting. So how much of that, though, how much of personal contact is part of your overall, overall research, or was it largely contained to, uh, shall we say, scholarly works or research uh, in a more traditional sense, or did you kind of have to make up your own separate game plans? And, and frankly, how do you lay it all out? I mean, do you have like a gigantic uh, whiteboard or, or, or bulletin board, or I'm, I'm thinking 1990s era now, but or spreadsheets, or how do you how do you keep everything all sort of categorized and and, and uh, I don't know, uh, diametrically, uh, not diametric, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, mapped out and, and, and ensured that the, the trees and the branches are in the right places for all this stuff. Well, yeah, you're talking 1990s, so talking about a lot of manila folders, <laughs> um, you know, separated out for different different leagues or different sports or, or different whatever, all kinds of charts going on, um, arrows pointing to different things, uh, probably very, very messy. Um, today, like creating the second edition, not so much personal contact needed because basically when a new league forms these days, they will announce the teams and each team will announce its name and where it comes from and what it means. And, you know, all you have to do is look at the press releases and you've got everything you need. Um, but yeah, in the past it was, uh, there was a lot more personal contact needed, um, and sometimes it would be a case of uh, trying to make contact with with individuals who were associated with teams that no longer existed or with leagues that no longer existed. Uh, so that could be a struggle. Um, and an example was that National Cycle League finally being able to, and I don't even remember how I got his name or his contact information, but 
I, you know, that was kind of a lifesaver with that league. Um, one of the one of the leagues that I had a lot of personal contact with was World Team Tennis, and uh, they are in existence today. But they also have a, a history that goes back pretty far; it goes back to the 1970s. And so, trying to track down that information was uh, a little challenging. And one of the things I was able to do was to locate some uh, past uh, yearbooks and purchase those, you know, so I could find that stuff in different years. Then they'd have all the teams laid out. And uh, but I was also spent some time on the phone with, uh, I think it was Tracy Donnellan, and uh, she was very cooperative. And I had reached a point where I had most of the information together and I had a list of questions and so I asked her if I could just fax her these questions and if she could fill in the blanks I mean you know just literally fill in the blanks in these questions and she did that and uh, there was there were one or two things she didn't know and she wrote on the fax uh, Billie Jean King suggests that you contact this person with this question and so I was able to follow up on that contact and then fill in that gap so Uh, That was very interesting and uh, a very helpful process with that league. All right, a quick pause from the proceedings, and uh, let's get that first trivia question out of the way, shall we? Uh, Your chance uh, to win a brand-new copy of the brand-new second edition book by our guest this week, Tom Brocato. Major Sports Leagues. That's the title. It's published by our friends at St. Johan Press and uh, the 500 page and then some hard copy version of this book uh, is yours. If you can uh, be the first correct answer that we receive uh, via email at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. We're going to use the uh, sort of fastest finger first concept, meaning that the first correct answer that we get and we'll timestamp them and stuff when we receive the email. Uh, to this trivia question. We'll uh, we'll then follow up with you and tell you one, and we'll get you uh, your uh, free copy uh, sent to you uh, straight away. And here's our first trivia question. It is, which nickname has been the most used by pro sports teams in history in the United States? What is the most used nickname, team nickname, uh, in pro sports? And I'll give you a hint. Uh, I'll give you two that are, are often used, but uh, do not uh, are not the, is not the answer. Uh, the Thunder is one uh, we counted up by uh, Tom Brocato's uh, tallying here. It's uh, been used uh, oh, 17 different times by professional sports teams across all the leagues. And uh, another one is the Breakers, interestingly. Breakers has been used uh, numerous times, I think 17 times. Uh, the USFL, as a matter of fact, used it three separate times. Uh, arguably the same franchise, but in three different incarnations with uh, a team in Boston and then New Orleans and then in Portland, Oregon. Uh, But that's not the answer we're looking for. What is the name, the nickname that has been most used by the most amount of teams in professional sports? If you're the first person with the correct answer, we will give you a copy of this book by Tom Bricado, Major Sports Leagues. And again, send your answer to hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. And the first correct answer that we receive to that question, uh, yours uh, is uh, on the way, a copy of this book coming to you as uh, as a reward for listening. And we appreciate you continuing to listen to our conversation with Tom. And here it comes. Well, in 
some respects, this uh, this almost becomes. So I'm a huge uh, pop music chart history guy too. So in some respects, you've almost become the unwitting Joel Whitburn of uh, of the pro sports world. And Joel Whitburn is the uh, sort of a uh, widely acknowledged expert and uh, and book producer and publisher of all kinds of various chart histories out there of, of music and stuff. So in some respects, this is almost like. Uh, the Torah for me, uh, and maybe for for some of our listeners, in terms of, I guess the closest thing to definitiveness. Let me ask you this: Did were there any leagues and/or teams that you know you kind of thought really hard about, and whatever reasons didn't make the cut, and and perhaps maybe why they didn't? Yes, um, there were there were quite a few that didn't make the cut, but it, it usually didn't take much to find out that. Usually it was a case of the league not being professional. Uh, there was one, there's one that didn't make it, and I, I can't, it's kind of a strange story. I don't even remember the name of the league. I do remember that it was a roller hockey league. And I had discovered the name of this league, and there were a whole bunch of teams, and it had a history, and it was still in existence. And so I started kind of digging into the history of this league, and trying to kind of get a leg up on it, I went ahead and contacted like the first three existing teams on my list to see if they could tell me where their names came from. And so I sent three emails to three different teams just as a start, but I'm still, you know, doing other research on, you know, the years and the, the teams and any relocations and all that kind of information. And the first email came back from one of these teams, and it was, I think, from the general manager of the team. And he said, uh, why do you want to know this information? And I had explained in my initial email that this was for a book and tried to explain it. And so I emailed back and said that again. And he came back and he said, uh, well, I'm not really sure if I should provide you with this information. I'll think about it and get back to you. And I thought, well, that's really strange. And then uh, the second team responded and said pretty much the same thing. It was, uh, we're not sure we should uh, provide any information about this to you. And then the third team was the same thing. It was almost like the same person, even though it was three completely different teams and three completely different cities, three completely different contacts, or so it seemed. Um, And eventually I was able to dismiss this league because it turned out to be semi-pro at best and amateur at worst. It was kind of a mixture of amateur and semi-pro. So the league didn't get included, but I, to this day, have no idea of where the paranoia was coming from over the team names. Um, I mean, I don't know if they were afraid I was looking into trademark infringement, maybe, or something like that. I have no idea. But it, it was a very strange experience. I'm, I'm guessing this was sort of in the ashes of uh, what used to be Roller Hockey International and then uh, for a year or two, uh, Major League Roller Hockey, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so we, we've had a couple of episodes, uh, one with uh, our pal Richard Neil Graham and uh, one with uh, the guru of, of Challenger Leagues, Dennis Murphy, about some of that stuff. And uh, yeah, it does seem like there was, you know, as I suspect that every – Every new uh, league that, ha- you know, with a new pro sort of team circuit kind of thing, uh, for whatever reason, if it doesn't last, sort of it, it, you know, there's always sort of a hearty band of folks that uh, want to keep it going in some kind of, you know, maybe if not established and, and significant amateur fashion, maybe some semi-pro-like way to someday perhaps, like, say, Major League Soccer coming out of the ashes of 
uh, various semi-pro efforts after the death of the North American Soccer League, right? There's always sort of that hope and that uh, that belief that the sport, perhaps because of timing, because of unique financial issues, or just the market not being ready, that kind of stuff. Like, for example, I, I would imagine some of the more intriguing ones, like pro cricket, right? Which is a relatively new thing from 2004. It was only one year. And I think I actually have found one of the owners or the co-creators or founders of that. He works sort of in the in in tech, uh, and I've not got any responses yet. But that's you know that that year and that that effort, right? Playing in minor league baseball parks and stuff, you know, and, and you, you just know how cricket in various forms, especially sort of the uh, the speedier sort of shortened version of that, is uh, it's it's huge in various parts of the world, India in particular, and all the diaspora of Indian expatriates around the world, right? So you, you can you can imagine that, you know, the United States could be yet again another opportunity for, for cricket under the right circumstances. But I, I got to think there are a lot of sports where, you know, the pro thing is experimented with or, or makes its, uh, uh, its debut and then it kind of just falters and then sort of either goes back into amateurism uh, or something like it. I mean, I think bowling was a really good example. I, that one to me was a huge revelation a couple of months ago. You know, the, the, in the early 1960s, when the uh, National Bowling League came about, it was basically that versus the Pro Bowlers Association, which became kind of the mechanism by which pro bowling really wound up becoming a, a sustainable prize-centric thing. It became more of a tour-centric thing versus a team-based thing. But there's a, there's a period of time there where it could have very well been uh, a pro-team kind of circuit. And, uh, you know, for a year and a half, it was, at least competitively, uh, attempted to be such. Yeah, yeah. Do you sense that there are other leagues that somehow elude you? I'm guessing you're probably keeping the door open to uh, continuing to sort of keep this uh, idea and extensive research kind of alive, almost as the authoritative reference going forward. Now that you've kind of gotten to this point, no? Uh, yes, um, and, and sometimes I just will randomly search for different uh, sports and. I believe there there may be a professional swimming league starting soon, um, which is, is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm going to be keeping a watch on that. Um, but uh, you know, another thing that you have to do when you have these new sports starting up is, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying about how do you determine a major league, is to not uh, really compare it to, you know, today's Big Four. I mean, you know, Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL. Um, and somebody did ask me, at least on one occasion, you know, how in the world can you compare this league and call it a major league when, you know, if you look at the NFL, it's it's nowhere close to, you know, popularity or, or money or, or anything. And um, one of the things that I do is to not compare up to those leagues, but to try to compare them more closely to, say, the National Association of 1871 or even the National League of 1876, because if you look at those leagues and those teams, um, very few of those players were able to make a living year-round on on what they made playing baseball. Uh, they had to take odd jobs in the in the off season. Sometimes they would work at at bars and restaurants um, when they were at home in the summer. Um, so as as long as they're getting paid, the players, it, it doesn't mean that they have to be able to completely make a living at that sport. And I think we have to treat these these new sports um, the way baseball was treated, the way we treat treat baseball of the 1800s. Okay, I got a couple of questions here because there's also some notable omissions here, at least. But that's perhaps on my sort of 
my uh, uh, framing of maybe what a pro league is, and, and maybe you can give our audience a sense of, of sort of the the calculus, I guess, that you sort of uh, approached when considering uh, these leagues. And I guess the first I would sort of throw out to you is uh, arena football. Not in there. Why? Why not? Uh, arena football is in there. I'm sorry, that's my mistake. I <laughs> I was looking under football. That, but okay. But maybe we could. Yeah, it's, it's a separate category. No, got it. And that, I guess that that's that's probably the answer I was looking for. Um, how about the World League of American Football in the uh, 1990s? Um, if I'm not mistaken, that was a European league, right? Yeah, but it had a few uh, U.S.-based teams uh, for a couple of years. And I uh, clearly, a lot of what you focus on is on the uh, North American side of things. But there were a couple of teams domiciled uh, in the United States. But I guess perhaps uh, you feel that that's more of an international kind of approach and that kind of falls outside of the boundaries here. It does. I, I consider, you know, having a team or two from North America to me isn't enough. It's, it has to be a North American-based league. Um, that's just, you know, one of the criteria that I uh, have established for myself to, to kind of keep the reins on things. No, I get it. And then, uh, two other ones from the, uh, the realm of, of women's sports, right? So, um, one of which I can understand, uh, I think because it's so, it's, it was so obscure to me was the national, maybe you're unaware of it, uh, but, uh, two weeks ago we had a, uh, an episode, uh, the national women's football league, uh, the seventies and early 1980s, uh, the Houston Hurricanes, H-E-R-R-I-C-A-N-A-S, uh, which is semi-pro, I guess, to, to some extent. And the other is, um, which I, I think is actually a bit more uh, interesting, is uh, women the Women's Basketball League, uh, or I guess at the time it was called the Women's Professional Basketball League of the late 70s, uh, early 80s. Uh, kind of teams like the New Jersey Gems and the Iowa, Iowa Cornets. We've had uh, Molly Kazmer, otherwise known as Molly uh, Bolin, on our show. She was a sort of a standout star in that. But I, I guess there's there's cutoffs there, right? You've got to sort of make the decisions about what to include and say perhaps what not to include. Yeah, that's true. And I, I do know that I looked into the uh, that women's football league that you mentioned and somewhere along the line decided that it it didn't quite fit all of the criteria. I don't know if that's because it was more semi-pro than pro. Uh, I can't really recall. Um, the basketball league, I I don't recall at all, so I don't know if I've even been aware of that one. Uh, perhaps, perhaps we can help you with your third edition then. Yeah, it's the, it was the win- Maybe. It was known as the <laughs> WBL. Uh, it was in the late 70s, 1978, 79. Uh, there's the New York Stars, which featured, uh, oh, they called them the Dannon Twins. They're the two twin ladies who uh, uh, were uh, part of a Dannon yogurt commercial campaign. They played for the New York Stars. Uh, Machine Gun Molly uh, Bolin, who was uh, kind of a uh, a sexy pinup type as well as a, an amazing basketball uh, player. Yeah, I, um, I think a lot of people actually would look at the uh, ABL and then the obviously the WNBA. Uh, they look a lot at the the WBL of the late seventies, early eighties as being kind of the um, the beginnings of that. Uh, you know, Iowa had like six, seven thousand people a game for the, for that for that. Um. But let me throw out some other things. So, so where do you where else do you think that perhaps you could expand this, or do you or do you think you've got enough by just uh, keeping it sort of under its current definitions? Because right? I could, you know, you could make arguments, for example, that now what what today would be known as minor leagues, right, would uh, could through certain lens be sort of included in sort of a major league uh, sport, such as uh, the Pacific Coast League in baseball back in say the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, right before Major League Baseball. 
uh, expanded to the West Coast and, you know, San Francisco and L.A. and that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of people, baseball historians, arguably, look at uh, the PCL as being uh, almost as equivalent to major leagues and simply because there were only 12 or 14 teams, mostly in the East Coast and the, in the Midwest. But what of, say, uh, I don't know, the CBA, the Continental Basketball Association, which, again, minor league by today's traditional, you know, I guess, definitions. But in many respects, I think a lot of people felt that the CBA was the second best professional basketball league in the world at that time. You know, and that, uh, you know, is saying something given that there are plenty of leagues in Europe and South America and stuff, or, or even today's G League, right, which is obviously the minor league feeder to the NBA. I, I think I guess I, I know the answer to that, but uh, did you ever consider, would you ever consider making some unique exceptions to maybe some of these leagues that uh, on a good day would be uh, confused with professional or would they just not qualify because they're not the ultimate top tier in their respective sports? Yeah, they would not qualify for that reason. Um, I, I, you know, to some extent, I, I have to follow uh, traditional historians' uh, opinions and uh, popular feelings that are definitions that, you know, this is a minor league. Um, and in terms of exceptions, I think that I've already made exceptions uh, in terms of, for example, the, you know, the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Um, was that really a major league? Well, you know, if you read a book about major league baseball history, you're not going to find that in there. But uh, the fact that they were the best women playing baseball, uh, I think, does qualify it. Um, same with the Negro Leagues. Uh, this is uh, These guys were, were, many of them definitely of major league caliber, and they even had their own minor league teams. And I think that kind of a structure uh, qualified the highest Negro Leagues for inclusion. Um, teams that are, are leagues that are traditionally called minor leagues, um, I just kind of struggle with, with that. And I think in terms of the scope of the book, the direction that I would take in the future would be more towards looking towards other new sports that are starting up. Not necessarily a new sport, but a sport that is newly uh, forming a professional league. Some of the stuff in here is, uh, it's really, it's really cool. You've sort of categorized it and, and sort of sliced it and diced it in, in different uh, in different manners. But uh, uh, the team names in particular, and and, and uh, frankly, you have a, 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 the, a good third of the book uh, is focused on sort of the origins of uh, a lot of these team names. Any, any team names that uh, uh, struck you as uh, odd, interesting, uh, unique, uh, or just kind of just burnished in your memory that you couldn't shake and you couldn't believe maybe, or maybe you just didn't know where the name came from and you were uh, pleasantly or, or oddly surprised by the origin of, of that team name. Well, there are kind of a whole lot of those. And uh, I have to say that I learned a lot about geography and history and different cities and different landmarks. I learned a lot uh, by researching these team names. And to me, that's the the most fun part of the book because that's not so much reference book. I mean, that's something you could actually sit down and read and, and hopefully enjoy that part of it. Um, I think one of the more interesting ones that, that, that I found and learned about was uh, the Lancaster Roses, which was a basketball team. And I learned about, uh, and if you're from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, this is probably no big deal to you, but uh, I had no idea of the connection between uh, Lancaster and the house in England that it was named for, 
and the same with York, Pennsylvania, and the house in England that it was named for, and the fact that that uh, Lancaster had used the red rose as its symbol, and York had used the white rose as its symbol, and the struggle for the throne over in England uh, led to what was called the War of the Roses. So I would have never connected the name of this basketball team, the Lancaster Roses, with this historical event, the War of the Roses. Uh, but that is exactly the truth that this, you know, this team, because Lancaster, Pennsylvania, has adopted the red rose as its symbol based on its its uh, counterpart in England, and that York has adopted the white rose. Um, it was probably something I learned in grade school, but I learned a lot about the War of the Roses and and England. Um, other names like uh, it was kind of almost comical to see some of the earlier teams being named for the businesses that sponsored them or if the owners also own uh, businesses. I'm thinking of a team like the, the Washington Laundrymen. Um, you know, I mean, who roots for a team called the Laundrymen? Uh, that was kind of entertaining. Um, the Saskatoon Sheiks, an old hockey team that was named for uh, the song The Sheik of Araby. Uh, so, yeah, there were, there were a lot of surprises, a lot of entertainment, a lot of education that went into uh, that discovery. All right, trivia time. One last time before uh, we uh, go to the rest of this interview with our pal Tom. And uh, here it is. Again, this is uh, your chance to win a free copy of the the awesome tome, Major Sports Leagues, by our guest Tom Brucato. Again, brought to you courtesy of our friends at St. Johan Press. And uh, here is the question. Again, it's fastest finger first, so to speak. Uh, that is the first correct answer that we get via email at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. We'll win a free copy and we'll make sure that we get uh, all the information that we need to get that copy of the book sent directly to you. And here is that question. Name for me all of the franchises of the league uh, known as the Major League Volleyball Circuit. Major League Volleyball, or MLV. Uh, it is uh, a league that ran from 1987 to 1989. And I need to hear all of the teams that were the franchises in Major League Volleyball. I'm not talking about the International Volleyball Association. I'm not talking about uh, of the 70s. I'm not talking about any other incarnation. It's Major League Volleyball from 1987 to 1989. I want all the team names. There's not a whole lot of them. And I'll give you a hint. One of those teams was in three different cities in each of those three seasons. The other ones were stable. So there you go. I need the names of all the franchises of Major League Volleyball from the late 1980s. Again, fastest finger first. Hello at GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com. The winner will get a free copy of uh, this great new book, this great reference tome, Major Sports Leagues by our pal Tom Brucato. Here is the rest of our conversation coming at you. Any uh, risque ones or ones that uh, either double meanings or, 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 or ones that maybe wouldn't pass muster in today's uh, more politically correct uh, correct world? Like, I, like for example, I look at, at – um, one looks at the Atlanta Crackers, right? Uh, and obviously that is a – can be considered a charged word in racial terms, I guess, maybe uh, not sort of uh, – uh, you know, directly. But when you look into the definition of that, it actually came down to something about sort of horse and buggy operators uh, who would, quote unquote, crack the whip. And that was sort of the original 
uh, intention of the name. But, you know, uh, domiciling a team named the Crackers in Atlanta, the heart of the, the South. Uh, interesting, uh, you know, line walking, I guess I, uh, I would argue. And, and maybe some sort of history of, of I guess, uh, tolerance in this country and 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 uh, the Redskins thing, right? And the Indians and the Native American thing, right? I mean, there's a there's a whole sort of host of, you know, things that might not have been perceived to be a big deal back in the day or in their perspective areas, but you know, against the lens of time and or broader geographies, uh, might be more questionable. Um, I just that's just that that's a sort of a theme that I guess I sort of sort of see in here in 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 my sort of flipping through these pages. Yeah, the only the only one that I can think of, you know, other than those those racial references that you mentioned, and which have, you know, kind of come and gone, and why they were, you know, considered acceptable is a is a whole nother uh, question. Um, but the only one I can think of is the Miami Hooters, and they were named, you know, after Hooters restaurants, which you know the name of the restaurants is kind of a risque one. Um, but you know they always go with the Owl team, and uh, they named their their team after the restaurant. So. Um, that's really the only one that comes to mind that, you know, other than having a racial reference. All right. Um, any other things that, uh, you know, you just sort of rejected out of hand? I can imagine, for example, the Lingerie Football League, uh, albeit right. uh, teams that uh, actually played. Uh, now, I think it's called the Legends Football League, and maybe even actually on hiatus now. But, you know, they were actual teams. Uh, they had television exposure uh, and other exposure, if you could, you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sold tickets, right? Uh, but you know, uh, you get to squint really hard, per se, I guess, to consider it a quote unquote pro women's football league, right? I, I don't. Maybe that's the answer to that. Maybe you didn't even consider them in the first place. Any others that might have sort of fallen into that category too? Well, the one you mentioned, I did struggle with. Uh, that was uh, <laughs> that, and I can't say you know to this day that I made the right decision in excluding it, but. It just didn't seem like something that was meant to be taken very seriously uh, from a sports standpoint. Um, I think that's ultimately why I ended up rejecting it. Uh, the other ones that I struggled with were uh, there are two martial arts leagues in there, and I struggled then with them uh, for personal reasons, not not because of what they were. Um, there were two leagues in there. One's called the International Fight League, and the other is the World Combat League. And uh, in terms of martial arts, I am a martial artist. I've been a martial artist for 45 years. And my philosophy has always been the traditional one of, you know, the martial arts are for uh, self-defense, defense of the weak, and for making yourself a better person. And I have, in martial arts circles, I've always been kind of a minority in that I uh, am completely against tournaments. I think that they uh, fly in the face of that philosophy they, uh, when I was at a karate school, when I first got my black belt, um, the school had been focused on that philosophy. And for some reason, right after I got my black belt, the Korean master at that school announced that we were going to be entering tournaments now. You didn't have to. Anybody who wanted to would be sponsored in these tournaments. And the whole focus of the school shifted from this, you know, original philosophy to, hey, we got to win these trophies. And it was not a good thing to see. I mean, it was to the point where even in uh, practice sparring, the quote-unquote referee would say, no, you can't use that move. That would be a penalty in the tournament. And I would think to myself, well, I'm not training for a tournament. You know, I'm, I'm training for the real thing. So 
if I was on the street, I would totally use that. Um, so I struggled from that perspective with including these two leagues because they were very much uh, practicing what I found personally um, offensive about using the martial arts. And uh, I eventually came to the realization that I had to put my personal feelings aside because they did really meet the criteria for the book. And so if I wanted the book to be, you know, truly what I wanted to be, I couldn't get personal about that. So that was a that was a struggle, but uh, they're in there. And roller derby didn't make the cut either, I think, probably for obvious reasons. But maybe you could tell our audience maybe why roller derby doesn't sort of qualify, given the fact that there are teams like the Bombers and others that are, you know, seemingly passed off as a professional league. Well, the roller derby that I had always experienced was uh, very much staged and uh to me, that's not that's not what we're looking for in uh, sports. I mean, it was it was entertainment certainly. It was uh, physical certainly. Uh, there were games, um, but you know, any kind of staging whatsoever to me makes it uh, not fitting the criteria. All right, I got one last one for you. Uh, that's sort of on the on the cusp, and and um, I, I, it may actually be another sort of potential inclusion in, dare I say, the third uh, edition. What, I think it was called the National Wrestling League, and 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 obviously it's not the same from the WWE and 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 uh, sort of the the admittedly staged and uh, you know spectacle that is uh, pro wrestling. But I, I do sense that I, I, if I remember correctly, it's completely hazy in my mind. And maybe our audience can weigh in too. I think it was in the late '80s, maybe early '90s, where it was um, uh, an actual pro wrestling circuit in the. I don't know if it was Greco-Roman or or some other sort of, you know, legit kind of, uh, you know, NCAA kind of formatted thing uh, with pro teams. It didn't last very long. And again, that may not sort of rise to the level of your, um, to your criteria, but I think it was the, the first and really only kind of attempt to do true professional wrestling uh, in a legit sense uh, and actually in team form. And I, I do know there was a team in Chicago. I think they played in the Rosemont Horizon uh, or some other environment that was way too big, but you know, in the Midwest, obviously, pro rest, uh, pro uh, college wrestling is uh, a huge thing, uh, and um, I throw that out there as perhaps maybe, <laughs> and, and there are probably some others. I'm sure after this episode, we're going to get plenty of uh, of input from people who uh, think they've got you, or perhaps <laughs> want to suggest to you <laughs> opening. They may new, yeah, <laughs> they some may. new ones. Well, okay, so but it sounds to me though that you're. This this doesn't feel like it's ever maybe going to be a finished project, is it? No, it, I call it a living work um, because that's that's exactly what it is. I mean, you know, you never know from one day to the next what's what's going to happen. Um, one of the things that made it easier for me to go from the first edition to the second edition is that I never stopped the research. You know, once the first edition got published. I kept a working copy of the entire manuscript on my computer and kept it updated uh, no matter what was changing. And so at the, at the time I'm adding these 12 new sports to the book, I'm also keeping up with the 10 original sports that were included. And so I did not have to go back 20 years and say, okay, let's look at the original book and see what has changed since that time. And so now that the second edition is out, I will continue to keep a a working copy and continue to keep it updated. So hopefully there may be a third edition someday. 
so I'm curious as to sort of themes, right? Did, were there any as you as you continue to research all this stuff and even expand it to other sports in the second edition? Uh, were there patterns or or uh, themes that sort of kept emerging over and over again that um, you know that 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 kind of maybe sort of gave you uh, even more of an understanding of sort of the whys and hows of these sports and leagues and their comings and goings. Well, one of the things that I uh, have kind of noticed is that when one of these new sports uh, crops up and decides to try a professional league, uh, there are a lot of cases where a second one will start up almost right on the tails of the first, and they will either end up merging or end up killing each other. (laughs) And I'm not sure why that happens, but uh, I've seen it on a number of occasions where you know, this new sport, this this could be great, and yet uh, all of a sudden an opposing an opposing league starts up almost immediately, and they kind of cancel each other out. Yeah, we saw that with the uh, the rebirth of uh, professional soccer in the United States in the late 60s. There were actually three leagues, and they, you know, cooler heads prevailed. There were only two uh, when there were none the year before in 1967, uh, and then they had to merge in 68, and by 69 there were only like five teams left. So, you know, it's it's too much of a good thing in a short period of time. I, here's the other question, though, and this is more modern and more future-facing. And, and frankly, you know, maybe even shaped by today's headlines and, and maybe what's ahead in the in the macroeconomic sense in the, in the months and years to come. I, I even said this before, you know, the current coronavirus uh, situation and the economic impact that it's also brought to, to the world, frankly. And I, I, it just felt like, to me— it has felt like to me for a little for some time that you know you wonder just how far and how peak pro sports is and can go right we're you know, i'm i'm the biggest soccer fan on the planet right but 30 teams in major league soccer uh, half a billion dollars for a, a yet another uh expansion franchise in the in in the NHL while while Las Vegas was successful you know you've got at least three or four teams that are you know not really sort of solid like in, in in the Phoenix Arizona area for example how much revenue is there to be had this the, the, the salaries and the exorbitant prices of tickets and all that kind of stuff right so I guess I wasn't sort of maybe hoping for it but I you know you may be uniquely qualified to sort of answer this question right given all this research and all the stuff around leagues uh, no longer with us and, and and teams certainly no longer with us I, I don't know does this sort of continue to go on and and, and just become a f- endless source of of merriment for both you as a as a as a as a book writer and me as a podcaster or is there a correction or perhaps a cyclicality to some of this stuff and uh you know maybe there is a, a trimming or a more rational sober uh narrowing perhaps of what exists today which you know fueled by television a lot of stuff out there right i i don't know how how thinly you can slice the entertainment pie especially maybe now that there'll be fewer dollars maybe to spend in the next number of years yeah, well, that's a that's a really good question, and I I think uh, as an example, I use uh, Major League Soccer. I remember when when Major League Soccer started up, they had uh, what like eight or ten teams. I can't remember exactly, uh, but they were very slow to expand. And um, most of these new startup leagues, they'll start expanding very quickly, and then very quickly they find themselves unable to keep up with everything, and they end up folding. Uh, in the case of Major League Soccer, they they started up and they maintained the same number of teams for for kind of a long time, and I think that really helped their stability. Just from you know what I've observed with these different leagues, 
Um, and now they're, you know, they're expanding like crazy now. And I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but, um, you know, I'm glad that we have a team here in Cincinnati now. <laughs> they just started up last year. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think one of the keys to stability is to kind of limit yourself, at least at first, and not try to move too fast. And uh, that's what MLS did, and that might be one of the reasons they've been so successful. Whether you know all these all these big leagues can sustain all this uh, forever, I don't know. That's that's a really good question because uh, it's never been this big before. Alrighty then, our thanks to Tom Brucato, and uh, the name of the book is Major Sports Leagues. It's the second edition of this amazing reference book. It's uh, almost 500 pages uh, deep. Uh, it is published by our friends at uh, St. Johan Press, and uh, it will be available on Amazon and all those other great bookstores. Uh, I think it'll be delayed, of course, as uh, we drop this episode. I think we're still uh, in the midst of Amazon prioritizing uh, the more important uh, things out there, whether it's food and, and other uh, sort of uh, basic essentials as we, we all collectively struggle through our trying times. But uh, absolutely, you can uh, order a copy of that book there. Uh, we'll have a link to it on our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Just search up this episode with Tom Brucato and you'll see it. And um, you can also uh, order it directly from uh, the St. Johans Press website. That's St. Johans Press. That's S-T-J-O-H-A-N-N Press, P-R-E-S-S dot com. St. Johan or jo- Johan Press dot com. I, you know, I don't even know if there's a silent J or not, but, but hopefully you'll figure it out. And you can order a copy directly that way. And I think our pal Dave Bissell uh, there will uh, maybe even give you a little discount for doing so. Re- regardless, hopefully you find a, a way to get a copy of the book. It's fantastic. Uh, and it will uh, look very smart on your reference uh, library shelf uh, and uh, make you the, uh, the the envy of everybody in your uh, social circles, at least uh, in a distant form, uh, in terms of your uh, adding to your sports knowledge while uh, we all uh, keep to ourselves in a... Uh, in trying times for sure. Let's see. We uh, also, of course, remind you uh, that uh, our website is goodseatsstillavailable.com. That is the place where you can uh, send your friends if they're new to this concept, if they don't understand podcasting or whatever, uh, if they want to tool around and see our over 160 episodes now and counting of of shows, uh, if they're looking for a little diversion, a little uh, little whimsy, a little something to keep their uh, minds and ears occupied while uh, the weight of the world uh, kind of uh, presses upon them uh, and they're into sports and they're missing sports in their lives. Well, maybe there's a little uh, little interesting stuff there to be found and they'll learn some stuff, too, while they're at it. Obviously, you can find us on uh, any podcast uh, catcher or feed. Uh, just search us up. We're, we're in just about every library you can find in every uh, every uh, directory and uh, and and download us and 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 uh, bookmark us and make sure that we're uh, we're you're catching our every single week's episode. Uh, to not miss a thing. Goodseatsstillavailable.com is also the place to uh, check out all the other stuff we've got going on. You want our social feeds and follow us that way, by all means. On Instagram, you'll find us at goodseatsstillavailable. That's all one word. Uh, On uh, Twitter, we're at goodseatsstill. That's also all one word. Uh, There's a Facebook page devoted to us as well. And of course, you can send us email directly, whether it's a contest entry, as you heard earlier in the show. If you skip through it, we'll better skip back and, and get a chance to win a copy of Tom's book. Uh, but our email address for that, as well as uh, any general inquiries, uh, and that's at hello at goodseatsstillavailable 
Com. You can also on our website, check us uh, out by uh, subscribing to our weekly email newsletter that we'd like to send out every yeah, Saturday or Sunday, depending on how things are going. Uh, to give you a little bit of an advanced warning about what uh, each week's episode to come uh, is going to be. One last thanks, of course, uh, to our pal Jerry Payne. Jerry Payne, audio excellence. I don't know, maybe we should do a, a, a listener contest as to perhaps uh, what he could name his uh, newly formed uh, independent uh, podcast and production and audio services firm. I like to think House of Pain might be interesting. Get it? Wink, wink. I, you know, there's some other things out there. So why not? Who knows? I'm not sure he's looking for a name, but whatever. We got to thank Jerry uh, tremendously. He's been at it uh, for us for now almost three years, uh, and uh, we can't do it without him. We appreciate his services for sure, whatever he's calling himself. And uh, again, we want to stress to all of you out there, first of all, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. But more importantly, please do all the things that you need to do to stay safe and healthy. It's important and crucial that you do. If you think you're fine, uh, you may not be. You may be carrying the virus and you don't know it. I think you all have to sort of think now that maybe you kind of already have it. And what can you do to prevent others from getting it? And uh, by all means, too, please keep each other uh, supported uh, and comforted because not everybody is in uh, maybe good positions as you might be. Uh, and frankly, there are a lot of other people out there who are not. And um, it's a, it, we, it's important we all get through this together. Uh, we appreciate our little club, uh, you know, circling around and, and keeping each other uh, sort of uh, uplifted and, and connected. And uh, by all means, take a little bit of that and share that with others, too, outside of our little circle here. We appreciate that. And they will, too. Please stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, we'll, you know, God bless and God willing, we'll be back next week with another hopefully fun-filled episode of Distraction for you. And until then, please, indeed, by all means, take care. And we'll hopefully see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.